Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey there, thanks for listening to Leading Simple. My name is Rusty George. I'm your host for today as we get into episode 175, a conversation with a pastor named Andy Wood who talks about what he'd do differently during COVID, multi-site issues, and work-life balance. It's going to be a blessing to all of you who are leaders of churches or leaders in churches. And as a reminder, I just want to let you know that we are continuing to work with Compassion International. We're on a quest to sponsor 1,000 kids over the next few months because there is a huge backlog of kids needing sponsors because of how many of us did not sponsor kids throughout the COVID season. Compassion International is an incredible organization that's helped over 2 million kids in sponsorship. It's partnered with over 80,000 international churches and 65 years of serving. When you sponsor a child, it costs you about 40 bucks, but it goes to meet medical, spiritual, physical, and education needs of your sponsored kid even impacts the family too i've been on the ground in ecuador i've seen where these things happen and i'm telling you it is a life changer in fact we had a conversation with a woman not long ago on the podcast her name was kawani and she tells us what it was like to grow up as a sponsored child and the impact it had on her life i'm telling you I write my letters differently having heard that conversation. It really, really matters. So make sure you check that out and make sure you go to Compassion.com and use the code word or the backslash Rusty. So Compassion.com slash Rusty because if you do that, it helps us keep track of the number of kids we're sponsoring and our goal is 1,000 kids. So make sure you do that today. Well, here's my conversation with Pastor Andy Wood. Well, Andy Wood joining us here on the Leading Simple Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Uh, Andy, for our guests who don't know who you are, give us the nutshell on your life. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I live up in Northern California. And my wife, Stacy and I, we've been married now for a little over 18 years. We have three kids. My oldest is 14. Mm. Uh, his name's Cademan. Second one, Sammy. He's uh, 12. And then my daughter, Karis, is seven. So we've got a high schooler, middle schooler, elementary school. Uh, and we are pastoring a church that we started a little over 13 years ago. It's called Echo Church, and it's right at the heart of Silicon Valley by all the tech companies. And it's been a, been a fun ride. My goodness. I'm sure finding housing is cheap around there, right? Oh, yeah, man. It's crazy. It's crazy oh. what you can get for a million dollars out here. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, I, I got to ask you about your son's name, Cademan. Where'd that name come from? Uh, it's a Celtic name that means wise warrior. Okay. Well, I, I, I remember a band that used to be around called Cademan's Call. I didn't know if that had anything to do with it. So We liked the band, and that probably uh, like put us onto the name initially. And then we, we looked at the meaning and we liked it even more. I love that. That's, that's great. Well, so you're up in, in Northern California. Is that affectionately known as NoCal, NorCal? Or what's the terminology for that? Because we're SoCal. Yeah, most people up here just call it the Bay Area. Ah. Um, I think a lot of people who live in the Bay Area would consider Northern California like up you know, towards Eureka or uh, Redding, you know, kind of further north. Okay. That's good. I've been here 18 years. I'm still learning my California geography. It's Oh, I'm still I'm still learning things too. I saw drove by a sign this morning that said Smoke Land. 
uh, for Oakland. So, you know, I just, you, you figure out new things every day. <laughs> and you're from Michigan, right? Yeah, just outside of Detroit. Does that make you a Tigers and Lions fan and all that? Uh, yeah, I'm, there's really not much to cheer for, but uh, right. I, I like them. Um, I haven't really had anything to celebrate uh, since Barry Sanders left the Lions. Mm. And uh, we kind of joke, I, I get to watch the Lions once a year on Thanksgiving and they always lose. They always so. lose. They always put up a horrible game at, you know, as one of the two or three featured games on Thanksgiving. But I guess it's Thanksgiving tradition. We had hope that uh, Harbaugh going to U of M would uh, lead to a winning team, but that really hasn't done much for us either. No, you guys, you just can't beat Ohio State, which is what it, it's what really matters around there, isn't it? Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully the tides turn for you this year. Uh, I, I don't mind Harbaugh at all. I find him comical. Uh, okay, so tell us a little bit about uh, your church. And I want to know, uh, you know, you've been going for 13 years. What caused you to plant this? And, you know, at, at what stage in the life cycle of a church do you find your, yourself in right now? Yeah, we, uh, so I kind of sh shared earlier, I grew up in Michigan. Um, I remember having an experience when I was growing up when the thought of eternity kind of clicked in for me that there, there's more than just this life. And the realization, I was a follower of Jesus at the time, but the realization that I had all these friends that I'd spent time with high school, you know, football, wrestling, and they, they had never experienced the joy and peace that I had because of relationship with God. And at that point really began to have this desire just to share my faith and what Jesus had done in my life with all my friends. And I started thinking about bringing all of them to church, the church I grew up in, and I knew mm. I couldn't bring them to church. Mm. So I prayed a prayer. I said, God, if you'd ever use me to start a church for people who are far from you, I want to do that. I didn't know what that meant. Um, it kind of made sense to me because my dad is an entrepreneur. He owns a small business. So kind of long story short, we, we moved out. I moved south to South Carolina. I got out of Michigan as quick as I could at 18. Uh, met my wife. She's from Charles, uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Moved to Texas for grad school. We were there for five years. Mm -hmm. And we knew we eventually wanted to move out of the Bible Belt to start a church. Um, so we did a whole map of the United States, marked off what we thought were the 10 most influential cities in the country. Uh, and long story short, led us to the Bay Area. Incredibly ethnically diverse, uh, you know, very, very progressive in terms of uh, politics and people's belief systems, uh, lots of world religions. Uh, but when, when we came in from the very beginning, one of the things that we said we were going to do is we we're just going to build bridges with our community. So we were going to come in and not be known by what we're against, but be known by what we're for. And so we just started serving, loving people. Um, that kind of led us to pretty quickly get bridged into our city and build a good relationship with the city that we started the church in. Um, we started in a local elementary school, mm. we started with one service, two services that grew. Then we got in a building. Uh, when we got in a building, we saw some pretty quick growth there. And then we moved into a second campus, third campus. And then now we're, we're at four campuses uh, physically and then one online. And I would say, you know, we're, it's a really interesting season right now because we're coming out of the last 18 months of, of COVID. So I feel like in a lot of ways, we're trying to to recreate um, and get the church strong and uh, healthy again. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's a it's an interesting season because we have a lot of young leaders that we're trying to you know help them 
lead at higher levels, but it's a lot of fun at this season as well. What do you find young leaders need help with the most? Uh, depend, you know, when they, I think a lot of times when people first start, depends on the leader. Um, I, I think a lot of people in their early twenties need help with execution. Yeah. Um, and kind of learning how to take a dream or an idea and implement it. Uh, I, I find that a lot of the leaders that are maybe in their thirties, a lot of what I'm doing is kind of helping them think, or we're trying to help them think differently. Um, but initially I think it's managing a checkbook and a, a calendar and showing up on time. And, you know, a lot of that stuff that we all had to learn when we were about that age, right. um, and giving some accountability to it. Yeah. I, I'm curious about, you know, you're in Northern, well, the Bay area. We established You can that. say Northern California. Well, it's all Northern to me. Um, and I'm in Southern California, but I mean, we both come from the Midwest into California You've been there 13 years, I've been here 18. So we're kind of learning a little bit of the same thing. What are you seeing about unchurched people in California right now um, as far as you know, belief system, what they're interested in, what kind of church connects with them? What are some of the learnings you have now that maybe are different than 13 years ago when you first started this? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say one thing is when we started... I kind of had this vision in mind of what our church would become. I had learned, like we had the privilege of learning from some other churches in some major metropolitan areas. And we knew that we needed to kind of come in more with that serving mentality instead of just preaching, you know, that we're, we're against these values or these yeah. ideas. Um, I would say this last year and a half through the 2020 election, um, through all that's happened with COVID, I've, I've realized that the belief system, like if you had said to me, how progressive is Silicon Valley or how, you know, liberal, and this is not to get into politics, but pre COVID, I would have been like, well, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty progressive, but it's not, it's not like San Francisco or, but now I'm like, it's very, it is very progressive and the tech hub and what it's driving and, mm -hmm. you know, some of the issues with censorship and Twitter and Facebook and Google. And I mean, that's a whole nother conversation that we don't want to get into, but, um, but I think what I've seen is that mo most people are still trying to figure out my marriage sucks or my marriage is bad or whatever. And I need help with that. Or, I don't know how to parent my teenagers and they're on TikTok all the time. And I don't know, should I let them be on this? So there's, there's so many felt needs and the, the narrative, like we say, nobody comes to the Bay area for relationships. Everybody comes to the Bay area to build a career, to start a company. <laughs> and as a result of that, there's a lot of isolation and loneliness and brokenness and people need community, they need help, they need healing, they need hope. So I just have tried, and we as a team have tried to steer away from as much of that kind of messy political conversation and stay in the middle and focus on yeah. people need Jesus, they need love, they need help, they need hope. And that's, that's what we can offer. And that's what we can offer that nobody else offers. But the problem with that is that you get people on all extremes that really don't like that, you know? So we had people who left the church in the last 18 months because they wanted us to go one, one direction more or the other. 
but we j- we've just said, you know, that we're going to reach the people we're supposed to reach if we keep in that messy middle. Yeah, that's so well said. It's it's amazing the people we made mad over the last two years by saying nothing. Um, you know, yeah. and just trying to stay out of the <laughs> yeah. fray. Uh, I remember sitting in my office with one couple and they were mad because I wouldn't speak out against Donald Trump. And then an hour later, I'm meeting with a couple and they're mad because I won't speak for Donald Trump. And I mean, there's just no <laughs> yeah. way you can win. Yeah. You know? So so tell me how your church is different or at least how your your perception is of pastoring post-COVID versus pre-COVID. I would say one thing that's different for me is I'm a lot more grateful for the privilege mm. to pastor. It's such a sacred role, and it's such a privilege to be able to teach on behalf of God and share this good news. Um, I remember the the first like one of the first Sundays back for us and I was in the lobby and it was like the first time I had prayed over somebody physically in like six months. And I just remember like walking away with tears in my eyes, just saying, thank you, God, for the privilege of this. Um, I know that's more, maybe more personal than leadership. No, that's, I think that's genius. I would say that's the biggest shift for me personally. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm still in the zone where I'm really grateful to be together with a group of people singing songs. Um, we're, we're multi-campus, so I don't get to see all the campuses, but there's, there's something wonderful about being in a lobby after a service and actually hearing the stories of people that have connected with what, what has happened that during that service or that weekend. Mm -hmm. So I think that gratitude is, is, is big for me. Yeah. Pre COVID, it was easy for me to get overwhelmed by people get caught up in what needs to be done, walk quickly through a room, mm-hmm. tell someone I'll pray for you and, and write it down and do it, but not then. And now I feel it, it is a, um, it's a wonderful responsibility to be able to stop and say, let me pray for you right now. And mm-hmm. I totally agree because you just, you learn how, how special that is. Tell me about multi-site a little bit. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, were you guys doing all video before COVID? Yeah, we were. Okay, so has your thinking on video teaching changed post-COVID, or are you still um, thinking we're going to continue on with that at our campuses now that we're somewhat post-COVID? Hey, let me interrupt for just a second. If you haven't listened to our bonus episode with Kawani, she tells what it's like to be a sponsored child through compassion and the difference that it makes. Make sure you check that out wherever you get your podcasts through the Leading Simple Podcast bonus episode back in October. And we're asking you to sponsor a child today. Go to Compassion.com slash Rusty, and you get to change the life of somebody forever. Okay, back to our episode. Well, if I can just like zoom zoom back a little bit on the the thinking, how we got to that point, I would say wholeheartedly like it's a strategy, and there's a lot of different ways to do it that can work. Um, I have good friends that do it very differently than we do it, and it works great for them. I think the thing that doesn't work is when you waffle between strategies. So I think people get really confused, like. And I, I know that some churches, well, they'll do video some and they'll do live some, 
but if it's not clear what you're doing, I think people get confused and then they get disenfranchised. They have expectations that it's going to be one way and it's not. And, and then it just creates this mess that is sideways energy. So we just, we felt like it'd be a lot easier if we ever, if we ever wanted to make a shift to do more live teaching, it's way easier to go, you know, video to live. And then I, my primary spiritual gift is leadership over teaching. And so I teach about 65 to 70% of the time. And we have about four or five people on our team that can teach. And when they're teaching, I want to be able to take a week off and focus on leadership. I don't want to, I don't want to have to teach every week that they're teaching. So we felt like it, it increased the, the depth of our bench a bit to be able and to allow those people who are teachers, you know, they have the gift, but they also are leading to be able to give. So one person is putting in, you know, in my case, I'm probably not as much time as I should be on a sermon, but one person is putting in six hours a week on a sermon and versus eight people putting in, you know, that amount of time or four people in our case. So I think that that's how we got to that point. At this point, I don't, I don't plan on changing that. Um, but I, it's not out of like, a, well, this is the only way to do it. It's just out of, I think that works for us. And I'd rather keep it clear than muddy the water for our people. I think that's wise. I, I, I certainly struggle with that, trying to keep everybody happy. So we'll do a little bit of everything. And at the end of the day, we just make everybody mad. So <laughs> uh, well done. Yeah. If you had to do COVID over again, would you do anything differently? Oh, yeah. I'd do a lot different. What would you do different? Um, okay. So, I, and I don't know how much you get, like you do the personality stuff, but on Myers-Briggs, I'm re- I have a really strong on the N, like the yeah. intuitive. So the, the first six weeks of COVID was a ball. Like yeah. we, we were in a, I mean, taking the whole virus thing out of the picture that just the, the starting from scratch again was fun. So we were in an executive meeting when the order hit and we stayed all day long. We, we reorged, we put everybody on teams. We, uh, we came up with new assignments. I mean, it, it was, it was magical. Holy spirit led the way it all happened. Um, about two months in when you're like, okay, what, what's happening with this thing? I don't know. Like, is it going to keep going? I made a snap judgment when the trend was down, like June of last year, we, we got together and we, we kind of said, well, looks like it's going down. looks like this thing is over. So we started reorging back to what it previously was. And I think I would have hung with what we had a little bit longer. I think I would have not resisted. Like I love being with people. Um, and thank God for church online, but any, any pastor that tells you they love church online, they're lying through their nose, like they are through their teeth. They're like, it's, it's hard staring at a light and preaching and never seeing anybody. was very difficult. Um, but I, my wife, I had a time one, one night and this was probably closer to the election. My wife, Stacy, she's like incredibly wise, much slower paced than I am. She said, Andy, you are not embracing reality. You are making yourself miserable and you're making everybody else around you miserable. So the faster you can embrace reality, the happier everybody else around you will be. Mm. And I would say 
that right there was probably the biggest like shift. I would have embraced reality more. I feel, I feel like I gave, I was like a horse in a stall that kept hitting his head against the, you know, the edge of the stall trying to get out rather than settling in and being like, okay, this is reality and I need to embrace it. Yeah. That's really good. That would have been helpful for all of us, wouldn't it? If we just, <laughs> I mean, if they would have come out and said, it's going to be like this for a year as opposed yeah. to we'll be back by Easter. Yeah. Uh, that was the, the big thing. Okay. So tell me about just your work-life balance. How do you balance work and home? That seems to be a difficult thing for all pastors, especially, you know, as you're, you're you got young kids and you got kids that are teenagers now, but I mean, you're also trying to manage a growing church. So, I mean, how do you balance that? Uh, I would say kind of a little bit, one step back, I think some of it flows from our perspective or our philosophy of leadership. And I, I believe, and you know, some of this happened, I, I watched a sermon like when I was 18, 19 years old, it was this Andy Stanley choosing to cheat. You probably yeah. have seen it or heard it. And he, he holds this like piece of wood or stone and just says how a lot of times pastors would ask their family to hold, hold the rock and then eventually they drop it. Um, so from the very beginning, that mindset was, was there for me. But I, I think on a practical level is the, the more, the further decisions can be empowered into an organization, the easier it is to choose the, that lifestyle. And I, like I, I measure some of my success as a leader based on how much, how many calls and how many texts and how many emails am I actually getting after work hours? Because if that's happening, I probably haven't empowered other people to make decisions. So part of it for me is like how, how I lead. I want to raise up a team of people that can go way further than I could and lead through a team rather than being like this, you know, solo, awesome, charismatic leader. My, my style is more team-based. I would say that's one aspect of it. At this season of life, another is kind of leaning in, knowing that life kind of flows in waves. And, you know, so for example, like right now, my son has to be to school by 7.30 every morning. That means he and I are out the door by 7.05. But, you know, the thought hit me, like he's a freshman, probably in two years from now, he's going to be driving. The These moments are sacred. Yeah. Um, so I just, that mindset, like leaning in Wednesday night, my boys are at students. My daughter and I have a, a, a date every Wednesday night. Um, the engagement on when I'm there to fully be present. And it's a battle for me because I'm, I have ADHD and I can get into phone, my phone and all that easily too. But I just think that engagement piece, putting boundaries and finish lines, I know that that's big for you, but I, I rarely have meetings in the evening. I have one night, a, like one night a week that I'll uh, be out if I'm leading a group or something like that. So protect the nights. And then I try to do pay it forward or pay back. So like if I'm, if it's going to be super busy, something on the back end, that's more space or on the front end, that's more space, but it's a, it's a dance. I feel like it's not every season and even every semester of school, we have to recalibrate. Um, I think the hardest thing in this season for me personally is connecting with my wife because we're so, our, we're just to run a house with a bunch of kids. You're like back and forth and sports and school and everybody's back in school now. 
um, that's harder than like engaging with the kids because a lot of the times you're shuffling kids around, mm-hmm. but it's different every season. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think that what's the old expression? The, um, the days are long, but the years are short, you know? And I think as our kids have gotten older, you get in those seasons, you think this will never end and it does. It, yeah. It changes. It gets different. Okay. So over COVID you started podcasting. Mm-hmm. And I'm fascinated by people that are podcasting because I'm trying to learn how to do it myself. Um, what what have you learned about it, and how have you zeroed in with your podcast to you know this is the audience we're going after, and this is what the podcast will be? Because we've all heard a million podcasts, and some try to be everything to everybody, and some zero in on one particular thing. What what did you discover as your niche? Mm-hmm. Well. First of all, I I felt like on the front end, I didn't have the level of clarity that I wanted to have or do have now. And for me personally, that level of clarity prevented me from starting sooner. Mm. So like for somebody that has the idea of doing a podcast or, you know, writing a book or whatever, sometimes that, that clarity can keep you from taking the first step. So we, we started just having leadership talks. But what I started to feel like over time, and this was like getting some feedback from some mentors, got some feedback from Carrie Newhoff, from Brad Lominick, like some, some of the people that I really look up to. Um, I started to feel like, okay, our, our niche, what can we offer that everybody else doesn't have to have to offer? And it's still taking us time to get there. But I, I just had the realization, there are so many great tech companies and so many things that are happening here in Silicon Valley so I tried to, I've tried to steer it more that direction over time with like entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, people that are here. And then we already have a tribe of people like from church planting and uh, leadership is my passion. So I have a lot of conversations with leaders in our church. So we tried to just do something that we felt like for that tribe would be helpful. Hmm. Um, and then just trust over time that if it is helpful, then more and more people will listen to it. We have not gotten super aggressive like marketing or trying to grow it. And part of it is just because we don't, I don't really have margin to at this point mentally to give to like trying to 10 exit. Right. And I feel like if, if it's good, it's not going to shrink in size. Um, and at some point, maybe down the road, we'll have more margin and we'll say, well, let's, let's put more energy into growing this. But for now, right. it's like, let's do that kind of 20 mile march with it. Right. Tell me a couple of your favorite guests that you've had on. Uh, my two of my favorites. One one is a guy named Kevin Compton. Um, he's a venture capitalist. Guy is absolutely brilliant. He was um, he was in the room when Jeff Bezos made his pitch. Wow. Uh, I that kind of came out in the conversation, and so we just kind of unpacked that. He talked about how he sees like in entrepreneurs before like anybody else sees it. He kind of has that. Uh, almost like the Midas touch. So that was really good. Um, and then we have another guy in our church that started a company called Filled. They like go around and fill people's cars up with gas. And he's, uh, you know, he I think he's making some, you know, um, changes to how the company worked and all that. But it was just really cool hearing his journey of pivots they made, decisions they've made. Those are probably two of my favorites. That's cool. That sounds like that podcast, How I Built This. 
just mm-hmm. hearing how people have done that. Well, tell everybody, you know, where they can find you, where they can find the podcast and how they can connect with you. Yeah. So it's um, echo.church is the church's website. The um, podcast is just echo leadership podcast. It's on Apple and Spotify and all the different you know platforms that uh, have podcasts. And those, those are the two primary places. All right, buddy. Well, sure is fun to get to know you. I thank Brad Lominick for the introduction and uh, look forward to hearing more from you. So thanks for our, for your time and uh, adding to our, our listeners. This has been great. Thanks, Rusty. Well, thanks for listening. And as always, please share this with a friend. I'd love for you to leave a review and rate it. It would mean the world to me. Love to hear from you. You can DM me on Instagram at Rusty L. George. And please, today, go to Compassion.com slash Rusty and sponsor a child. That money will not be that big a deal to you, but it will be a lifesaver for somebody else. Compassion.com slash Rusty. Well, next week, we have a great conversation with Dr. Michelle Reyes, and she's going to help us bridge the cultural divide with people who might have different backgrounds than us. Maybe you're going to be around people over the holiday season that really uh, just are different than you. This is really going to help you in preparation for that. So that's next week. As always, keep leading simple. We'll talk to you next week. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. Learn.